The Lonely Office, your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real, anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities. From bosses that hold you back to promotions that you don't even want, we discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave the professional world alone. I cannot wait to tell you Ellie's story. Ellie? So Ellie made it to the top of the Glassdoor fishbowl charts this week. Yeah, it's amazing. She's squirming in her seat. Uh Uh-huh. She's in a meeting with her boss, and he's in the middle of unveiling her new promotion. Fancy title. Oh. Higher pay, everything. Boss says, will you accept? Now, most people would be overjoyed at this opportunity. Excited. Right. Euphoric. But Ellie, she knew while there was a bump in pay, and she accepted, she now would have to deal with the people issues she's always hated. Mm. Managing five people and all the demands and expectations that came with it. On top of that, that meant more Zoom meetings, more forced fun at in-person work events. (laughs) Forced fun. (laughs) And she would have to talk with her boss more than ever. In her current role, easy, good money, good work-life balance. Why would she give this up? Her boss goes, so what do you think? Ellie's mind is spinning. She's searching for an excuse. And she's wondering, how can she let her boss down easy and still let him know She wanted nothing to do with this promotion. That's when a lightning bolt goes off in her head. A lightning bolt. It goes off. A lightning bolt. (laughs) (laughs) Eureka. Ellie said, while this is an opportunity of a lifetime, you know how much I love mentoring our interns and how vital they are to this company. If I accept this promotion, it's going to take all my free time away from mentoring the up and coming talent in our company. Their future is just as important as mine. The boss is going to see right through that. She should go into politics. I'll tell you what, though. At the end of the day, she passed. She shied away from this promotion. If I'm the boss, I don't know if I quite buy that story. Her boss didn't buy it. There's no way. Kudos and points for her delivery. Very stateswoman-like. I'd imagine if you're trying to back away or walk away from a promotion, you have to approach it unemotionally like she did. My thought was, one, this was an amazing on-the-fly excuse from Ellie, even if it was like a political speech you would hear in the West Wing. (laughs) I love that. But at the same time, you both are saying, hey, the boss probably isn't buying it. But I think what we really want to break down here is this phenomenon. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I recall my own experience where I was offered a promotion. I definitely was not trying to walk away from it. But when you read people's firsthand accounts about turning down promotions, you do start empathizing a bit more with their points of view. The payroll processing company, ADP, known in the wider economy, they're one of the largest payroll processing companies. So basically the company that does all the red tape and magic to make sure that those paychecks make it to your bank account from your company. They did a study basically on the number of workers leaving or resigning right after their first promotion. And they presumably would have access to that because they process the payrolls and they see the payrolls stopping. They analyzed job histories of over one 0.2 million workers between 2019 and 2022, right through the pandemic. And they found almost 30% of workers quit their jobs (laughs) within the first month of their promotion. Now, acting as a baseline, they found that the quit rate for similar workers who were not promoted was 19%. So there was a still healthy delta like of 10%. And I was really curious because I thought immediately, okay, these are probably hourly service workers or manufacturing employees leaving for better jobs. No, it turns out people whose roles require graduate degrees or advanced technical degrees 
left at even higher rates compared to the baseline post promotions. And I think that's really interesting phenomena. And that's the backstory here to even Ellie's story. Maybe acts as an opportunity for us to kind of just jump into this topic. Because my first question would have been, how many times have you been offered a new job? And they're like, okay, it's going to take us two months to get this updated in payroll. And by the time everything is in the system and updated, you've already leveraged that promotion to find a new job. You're saying that the logistics and the red tape that sometimes the employees communicated right after the promotion, that you got this promotion, the pay doesn't officially hit for 60 days, the title doesn't become officially public, don't put it on your LinkedIn, and maybe there's a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust and an already built up frustration. Obviously not what happened with Ellie. Nearly every promotion I've ever gotten, I've had to sort of fight tooth and nail for. I'm already doing all of the work. I feel strongly I deserve it. People probably are likely already searching for a new job and just waiting for that promotion to hit. I think there was really only one promotion I had in my days as an employee that I was truly elated about. And you're probably like, well, you must be a cynical employee. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking that. And maybe I was to a degree. I mean, I, I did end up leaving a few of those companies starting my own companies. But nonetheless, in this one particular experience, I was basically working towards a promotion for the better part of a year and a half. And I approached my manager at the time saying, this is what I wanted to do, what would be necessary. And he's like, well, why don't you start taking on extra hours on your own dime and working towards it? And so that's pretty much what I did. And eventually they approached me six months into me already doing a lot of this job and they gave me the promotion. It's like the Mm -hmm. Hollywood screenwriter who writes a spec script, hoping that a studio picks it up. (laughs) I got picked up and I was ecstatic. One of the reasons I'd even consider walking away is because I had already been doing the role for six months. So I came into it with a lot of confidence. We read on Fishbowl, Reddit and Glassdoor, this phenomenon of imposter syndrome, where There's a lot of fear. Do I have what it takes to be a good manager or to fill in the job description of this new rank and title being offered? Maybe not in Ellie's case, but in other cases, people actually have imposter syndrome. And that's one of the reasons why they might walk away from the promotion. They don't want the added tasks and responsibilities and stress. So my first promotion, to give some context, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, had moved to London from New York. And I didn't tell anyone, even my friends at work, because I knew I was Mm. due a promotion and a raise. Mm. I felt I very much deserved it. I was doing exactly what Matt was saying, like already putting in the work, the extra hours. And I didn't want them thinking I was leaving to jeopardize that raise and promotion because I felt I deserved it and it'd be good to have on my resume. So I kept working toward it and sort of living this secret life. So once I got the raise and promotion, sometime after that, I did resign and leave the country. Most companies, even if you deserve a promotion ahead of being in a role a year or whatever set timeline they have, they're not going to give it to you. So I don't know what they really could have done. Yeah, most companies don't communicate the promotion calendar or schedule in a particularly clear way. Even in cultures or companies, let's call it startups, which are small and have very transparent leveling up mechanisms or frameworks, even then, there's just a lot of ambiguity around the process because it's inherently subjective, right? At the end of the day, the manager, your manager, has to represent you and your work to somebody. Yeah. The manager's representing you in a certain light. 
And that was the difficult piece I think that I didn't appreciate before I took on a management role is how much work my former managers put in to get me promotions probably every single time. There's a few things I'm gleaning from this. One thing you brought up that I didn't or don't think enough about is the manager that advocates for the promotion. And also when they do that, they're putting their own reputation on the line. If you don't work out or if you are total dud or if you start loud quitting or quiet quitting, like just from a reputation standpoint, that has an effect on the individual who advocates for that person. Second thing is, Matt, what you were bringing up, there's imposter syndrome, like, okay, maybe you're ready or not ready for the job. And then there's some people who need it so bad, but are distinctly not ready for it and are just figuring out how they're going to have to be able to spin yarn. Like actually accepting a promotion when you know you actually don't have the skills to do it, but you need the money. That's not imposter syndrome. That's called being an (laughs) imposter. You can say that it's imposter, but you know as well as I do, there are these situations, a lot of people listening right now who have raw skills, right? right? And maybe the education, their background, their economic status, it didn't necessarily afford them the ability to get some of the white glove skills needed in the corporate space, but they could do it. They just need a chance. Oftentimes, some people have to jump into that pool. You have to be an imposter and work your way towards being someone who belongs there. Ellie, and I know for a lot of people listening right now, they know how things work at their job. There was a time where promotion meant generally higher title, more pay, and work that wasn't overwhelming. You would have a schedule that eases up. What I've noticed that's happened, what Ellie's sniffing out, is it feels like there's a lot of companies who've used promotion just as a tactic to essentially put intern-like work on people they're promoting, or maybe just adding more responsibilities in substitute for a title. She sniffed that out. She knows she's going to have to work harder and the pay bump justification isn't worth that amount of work. My mental health is now more of a value to me. My work-life balance, right? I think there's two ways to look at this though. Look, I think there's this viewpoint of the employee where they might be entitled to the higher compensation and the title for all the hours they put in retrospectively. But then if you step up, expectations increase as well. And I think that's kind of fair. I think in the social transaction between a company and an employee, it's fair for the employee to expect tasks and responsibilities to be elevated. You mentioned the social contract. I think if there's an illusion that when you get a promotion, not only do you get a pay bump, but you just sit in your corner office with your legs up on the desk, you're looking out the window, people are- You have something else coming. Right. I was promoted in one of the agencies I was at, and it was to work specifically with the CEO and do all of his marketing. And it was like, oh, great. But what I realized, he was a bear to manage. (laughs) Yeah. So much to do. I got this title, but I was stressed out all the time. It wasn't worth it. But here's the thing. Going back to Ellie's, wasn't the contract, the social contract broken? Does she have a point? I think it was an episode ago where we brought in an HR expert from PepsiCo, a former HR leader, and he mentioned this phenomena of the social contract that used to exist between the American employee and the American employer. And then sometime in the 90s and later again in the great financial crisis during 2008, and then once more in the pandemic, that social contract was broken when companies started laying off workers for reasons other than just bad performance. And so as a result, employees are just responding in kind by protecting themselves. 
Ellie's situation specifically, it looks like she obviously doesn't want to go manager track. Mm. And I do think it's fair for her to question the company's motivation simply because it seems like this conversation is coming out of left field. It's a hard thing to really navigate because individual contributors can look really, really great. And then if you throw them in the management setting, it could be a totally different story. Companies have this forced operational framework. You grow in a company by starting to manage people. I think the ironic part of that was that many folks aren't good managers, yet are amazing individual executors. There should be tracks designed for those folks to continue to get promoted, make higher wages, while they just become more individually efficient, maybe more of a domain expert in their certain area. And that doesn't really exist in a lot of companies. It's still kind of an up or out system. While she's in this situation maybe she doesn't want to be in, she might actually take some solace in the fact that her company's actually internally promoting. In my experience, one of the most hand-wringing issues that employees have with their corporate bosses, organizational leaders, is what percentage of the candidates who interview are internal candidates versus external candidates. And that's a really frustrating issue for employees, particularly employees who've been at their company for multiple years. Time and time again, in my experience too, those roles end up getting filled by outside hires to the resentment of the internal staff. Josh Burson is a very notable HR guru. One of the studies he's done shows that through the pandemic up to 2020, that was the height at which promotions were being made internally. Internal hires made about 40% of all hires up to 2020. But then thereafter, things really started taking a dive and we're closer back to now 25% of promotions or new roles being filled by internal hires. 75% of the time, it's the outside candidate that's getting the job. That breeds a lot of resentment. So in this case of Ellie, she's being provided the promotion. But I think a backstory to this is the lack of trust you have in the company. And if all these other instances you've seen of people getting that new role being outside the company, then you lose trust on whether you even stand a shot at getting any of these promotions yourselves. And you're probably already shopping yourself well in advance. I remember one situation specifically where a new hire's contract had been left in a drawer. <laughs> what? <laughs> and this new hire had less experience in that sort of like, it's like a mid-senior position. Right. Someone at it's like a new the same role who had been at the company forever and had sort of worked her way up, right. finds this guy's contract and he's making significantly more, honestly, than a lot of us. That happens pretty frequently as people are brought in making significantly more when someone could have been hired internally. I think that places like a LinkedIn and Glassdoor, right, where the semi-anonymous or anonymous conversations about salary happening, I think we're really moving to more of a gig economy fully. Like it used to be that the track was promotions. Now it's like, Ellie knows in two minutes, she could probably get another job offer, right? Aaron's saying that the best way to get a big raise is just to switch jobs now. Yes, so by gig economy, you're talking about job hopping. We see that happening. I think there's still a really interesting lens to job hopping. What is an acceptable stint? We gone from four years was an acceptable tenure to where now two years is this acceptable tenure. And the question is, does that go down to a year or six months? <laughs> right. Yeah, it takes you six months to get onboarded, right? <laughs> $4,000 just to hire an onboard, let alone all the time you put in training and onboarding culturally and the knowledge. So if we're talking about job hopping, I think we don't know where it's going to net out. 
What are some things that Ellie or someone like that could do when they're getting this promotional opportunity? How do they maximize it? I'm always a fan of getting your manager or your boss to clearly articulate expectations. The one thing as a manager you're always concerned about is, are they working on the right thing? I argue if any manager is obsessive compulsive in a right way, it's about prioritization, making sure they're working on the right things and not wasting time working on the wrong things. And so when the young worker approaches the manager in that case and says, hey, can you just clearly write for me what are the key performance goals? And if you want to be more aggressive, ask, what does it take for you to get promoted? Because if you get promoted, I'll likely get promoted as well. That's the way it works in corporate America. And if you have a good understanding of what it takes to your manager to get promoted, then you can start understanding what it takes for you to get promoted and just go aggressively toward those goals. There's the other obvious stuff too, like ask for a specific 60-day check-in post-promotion, maybe 90-day check-in post-promotion. Am I on the right track? If you do have imposter syndrome or you're uncertain or you lack the self-confidence as to whether you could perform the new job description, you'll quickly put those to rest. Totally agree. And those one-on-one meetings or those 30, 60-day check-ins, those are the employee's time. It's not the time for the manager to be, oh, we need to check in on this, this, this. That really is when you should be asking them, what can I be doing better? Where are we headed as a company? And where are we headed in my role? Because I agree, Matt, I think people see their managers too often as being like an opposing force when really you should be a team working together toward both of you succeeding within the company. That's how it's meant to work. That's the goal. I've had overachieving employees who I know are really talented, but sometimes they get stressed out faster than others. And in those cases, I try to build a program around their stresses because I know if if their stresses get alleviated, Mm -hmm. they perform better. So we talked about what the employee can ask for. How about from an employer perspective, what can the manager proactively do to try to make the promotion a winning one? I feel like I do a lot of talking people down back from the ledge, even with simple things. I remember one of my roles, I started with someone who was immediately very stressed because a client requested to come through. And I was like, well, did you ask them what the timeline is? You're stressed about getting this done by the end of the day. Did they say they needed it by the end of today? Right. And then she went back and asked, and they were like, oh, you can get it to us by Friday. (laughs) That's a classic. She was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Why haven't I been asking this? I'm like, I don't know. That's right. (laughs) For me, just from a perspective that might be useful to the listener that I've heard both of you tap into is transparent conversation with your manager. So you both have given promotions or at least have been in that conversation. I've never given an official promotion before. The only parallel I have as an independent contractor is bringing on a freelancer. Oftentimes they're having to negotiate whether they want to take a part-time gig. I kind of tell them the overarching story of where we're going, where I'll say, this contract actually might be this much for this six months with this client, and it's not guaranteed. So I do a lot of that conversating. And it sounds like you're both saying really the opposite of the story we heard, which was with Ellie and her boss, there's absolutely no transparency. It's just like, do you want this promotion? Here's what it is. Transparency might be the key here. I think transparency and frequency, 76% of employees, a big majority say that their check-ins with their manager is once a month. Only 15% of employees claim to have a regular weekly check-in. That was surprising to me. I'm pretty religious about at least a once a week check-in. And I would imagine even in the case of this promotion, if you were to check in a week or two weeks after the promotion, that's a world of difference than 30 days. The last point, just kind of calling on my experience with the promotion is because you were asking us, Aaron, 
After my first set of promotions, I kind of had a set it and forget it attitude. It's not that I forgot this person existed. I wasn't necessarily as conscious or hyper-conscious of that employee's career goals as I was during that period where I was studying their promotion. And I quickly learned that does not work for obvious reasons. If you're a manager or you're trying to grow a team, the last thing you want is the employee to plateau their performance after the promotion. The whole point of the promotion is to rev up to get to the next milestone. What I've started doing, and I imagine a lot of my colleagues who are managers in the space is, the moment they give the promotion, that same meeting, they immediately set the expectation for the next opportunity. And that could be a compensation bump. It could be a title bump. It just acts counter to the purpose of a promotion if you don't offer that next milestone. Let's end it here, but I want to give the last word or last listen here from the Gen Z perspective. One of the key things that come out of that generation is that outside of like money, like money's important, titles, all that stuff, they value ecosystem. They value work-life balance, all the different parts of their life. And money is a part of it and titles are a part of it, but that's an ecosystem. They look at it more in that three-dimensional sense, right? And I align with that. So if you are that manager and you're looking at those promotions, you, you can't just come at it in the same way that you used to. Maybe Ellie's manager should have thought about that because Ellie ends up having to tell a story to get out of there. I wouldn't be surprised if she's gone in, in 10 days. She could leave. Yeah. And she takes the interns with her. <laughs> Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning into The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. And make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities, where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at thelonelyoffice at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.